Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast with Simon Cocking, Senior Editor. I'll be doing a series of interviews with people at the cutting edge of green tech, clean tech, and anything else that we think is interesting and worth listening to for you guys, our listeners. Hi. So today on the podcast, uh, we have Michelle Meager, who, uh, whose book we recently reviewed, Competition is Killing Us. So uh, first of all, thanks, Michelle, for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Simon. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, so look, first of all, uh, it, w- what's a bit of background about you? Because I know you had a kind of an interesting journey to what brought you to the point of writing the book. Yeah, so I mean, my background is as a competition um, lawyer. Um, and so writing a book called Competition is Killing Us, people obviously want to know what happened and um, how, how I went from being somebody who really believed in free market competition to the point of actually, you know, making it part of my career. Um, mm-hmm. then, uh, then really seeing some of the problems with it and wanting to, to reform the whole system. And so I suppose starting a little bit further back, um, you know, I was a teenage conservative I was a real idealist around about the free market I kind of um, really drank that Kool-Aid I suppose um, and I, I kind of had this belief um, which I think that is, sh- is shared by um, by many people and, and certainly is one that drives a lot of our economic policy which is that um, if only markets could be freer we could have a kind of more competition then we could have more of all of the other things that we want whether it's um, justice sustainability um, and shared wealth and prosperity and in that, you know, in service of that, um, we should therefore um, promote competition um, as much as possible. And in in, in kind of a very simple sense, um, I still believe that. I still believe that um, if markets um, are uncorrupted, um, then we can get the best um, we can out of them. But I also came to understand how um, the system that is single-mindedly promoting competition above all else actually sacrifices those other things that we want, um, that justice, sustainability and, and shared wealth. Um, and that actually tends to concentrate um, power and wealth in few hands. And is uh, while we believe the market is extremely efficient, it turns out that what it's most efficient at is actually spreading its harms um, as widely as possible. So I started to really question, it was about five years ago, um, uh, it was actually around a, a specific event, um, the the collapse of the um, Rana Plaza garment factory in Bangladesh. My family is actually from um, Dhaka um, and it, it really resonated with me this that this was the kind of this was the bare face of, of free market capitalism these were the people who were being um, harmed most directly and um, it made me question the role of, of competition um, within within the economy um, the global economy and, and also at home and started to make me kind of really look at how competition actually operates and, and to whose um, benefit. Yeah <laughs> uh, well explained. Um, look I mean uh, I, I hear you and, and I would agree. Um, so I did a master's in economics, and a, a, but we also did sustainable economics within that. And, and while economics uh, economists like to declare that they're very, uh, you know, uh, clear minded, uh, a lot of the economic uh, calculations weren't including the cost of water, air, and then also, you know, health and safety. And particularly, so then you have things like the Bangladesh uh, disaster where, you know, it's being driven to profit at the cost of, of people, which obviously doesn't quite, is, is wrong. And, you know, I, I guess things have been very oversimplified. I mean, is that one of the things that you feel that, that it like, like you say, you drank from the Kool-Aid and, and is it very much that it almost, it almost becomes a, a statement of faith, this belief in markets will fix everything? 
Absolutely. I think faith is a really good word um, to describe it. We think of these articles of faith um, and even though we do question them, nevertheless, they seem to guide how economic policy works. So one of those articles of faith is that, um, well, I'd say the one of the most important ones in terms of um, competition policy um, has been the idea that markets self-correct, um, that even if you have um, a monopolist who's able to gain power in the market, they'll never be able to exploit that power because there'll always be another company that will come in to challenge them. And you know, this is the, the idea that... Um, Originally, we had uh, we had MySpace, and then and then along came Facebook, and so therefore the same must be true of Facebook that that they they can be open to challenge um, by by another rival. But what we ignore when we when we take that narrative at face value is the fact that companies can entrench their power, um, they can exploit their power, they can um, externalize costs onto society, whether it's um, you know the threats to democracy, undermining. Um, democratic processes, the spread of online hate, and um, you know, all of the um the costs of, of a service like Facebook that, that aren't really taken into account, certainly not um in, in, within the, the profits that the, the company makes themselves. So I think it, it's it's exactly these articles of faith that prevent us from seeing um you know the, the real costs of, of capitalist um activities and and this is what I really try to challenge in my book to, to unmask, I suppose, um the various myths that are embedded um within free market capitalism. Not to necessarily um say that we should, you know, this isn't an anti-business um agenda as such. It's actually just about how can we harness the power of business so that it actually serves us and for me, um, this starts with the idea of democratizing power. Um, well, I suppose it really starts with the idea of recognizing power, because I think that um, a lot of a lot of the free market ideology was premised on the idea that we don't need to worry about power. Power sorts itself out. Um, it's actually you know the consumer that is all powerful. The consumer um, decides um, which company will survive and which won't, and this this magical process of competition will ensure that the, the gains are shared by all. Um, we know that that's not the case. So we will, we will obviously have to work harder. Um, you know, it, we can't leave it to the invisible hand. We'll actually have to have a, a visible hand um, mm -hmm. shaping the market. And um, in order to do that, we really need to see those articles of faith for what they are. Yeah, exactly. And I think... And like you mentioned, Facebook, I mean, and, you know, you know, the poor old people who are the moderators of what's, you know, inappropriate content are having, you know, um, psychological impact on that. Because, I mean, you know, if you see that much inappropriate stuff, how could you not have, you know, issues? And yet they're often some of the lowest paid people working for the company. So there's there's definitely a disconnect there um, in, in, in the book. You have obviously while identifying the problem you're also looking to see who is who who's leading forward some good examples and you talk about the b corps patagonia unilever and, and unilever recently said that they're going to go big on plant-based meat so um how close are we to having these companies not be outliers and actually be driving trends uh, are you optimistic or what's the time frame on this I'm a huge fan of of the B Corp movement. Um, I've, I've done some work with them around the kind of legal side um, about embedding what is natural to kind of B Corp companies and making that the standard for for other mm -hmm. companies. Um, so I think that there's a huge a huge amount of potential there. What I think though we must 
we mustn't forget is how much of the economy is structured by companies that are really operating on a completely different basis to to B Corps. So um, I think B Corps are, um, this is not to say that that's a niche or, or marginal effort. Rather, it's to say that I think that until we deal with power um, and corporate power and and monopoly power, um, we will never make enough headway on the um, kind of broader vision of stakeholder capitalism, because ultimately, unless you deal with the biggest companies, the most powerful companies in the world, really what are, what every other company does is irrelevant. I mean, Unilever is a, is a good example in a way. They're a publicly listed company. They're obviously hugely um, influential, but that hasn't necessarily protected them from, um, you know, it hasn't necessarily enabled them to unilaterally choose how to um to operate because they are still acting within the confines of the financialized system that 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 um allows them to exist so i think that we have to really question some of these structures question exactly um you know how companies like unilever unilever but also like facebook and and google and amazon um and not just the tech companies you know we could talk about bear monsanto we could talk about um uh energy companies banks pharmaceuticals these are these are huge um industries that really operate to their own logic um i think that unless we deal with that power at a fundamental level and uh, we'll always be kind of scratching at the edges Okay. Okay. Um, and I guess, so, so we recently interviewed someone who said that, you know, the price of renewables is, is falling fast at the, at the same time as the amount of energy it's generating is growing. So potentially, uh, we could reach a point where change is driven by price. Um, but is that an over-optimistic scenario? And that's kind of following on from what you've just said too, that you feel that, um, the work of the B Corps isn't yet enough to, to, to flip this paradigm. Look, I think that um, that what that example speaks to is that there is potential to, for us to allow technology um, rather than, um, you know, having technology sit within companies um, shielded by their um, you know, IP or um, directed, you know, directed according to how they want technology to operate. There is a potential here for technology to kind of burst out of um, the confines of, of a particular business strategy and revolutionize how companies actually operate. I, I feel that we are at that point where um, you, know, you can see it with the internet, you can see it with think, um, innovations like blockchain um, or, mm-hmm. or certainly um, in energy, where you could have this flip where suddenly these things are kind of open and the possibilities then become much less driven by um, you know immediate profit. I mean, I suppose what you're talking about with the energy example is where you go from a situation where you've got, you know, energy is driven by the policies and strategies of specific companies that dig stuff out of the ground and therefore have um, control physical control over those assets to a point where you know we could all have control of energy this could be an entirely distributed um, system and we won't think about energy ever again because it will just be there it will just be everywhere and we'll all have it as cheaply as we need it Um, and that was one of the promises of the internet, um, if we remember <laughs> back, mm-hmm. in, back 10, uh, 15, 20 years ago, um, 
was that it would be this kind of completely equalizing force and you know anybody could publish anything and then you know the publishers would have no control over anything um and there would never be um the idea that you know you have one company that would control all the internet i mean all, all the information in the world that felt completely antithetical um, to what the internet stood for. Um, and yet we've seen that um, companies are able to kind of erect all of these uh, barriers um, and kind of walled gardens that, that do protect their particular um, business strategies. So yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful that technology itself has the potential um, to, to, you know, free us um, in the mm -hmm. way that Kind of described but I, I still think that in order to do that we're going to have to wrest it from the control um of, of particular companies that have taken it within within their own own power yeah look i mean and i guess it's like all these things uh the, the people will say the technology is neutral it's about how we use it and you know tim bernie's lee by making it open source in the beginning the intent was very much that it wouldn't be corralled and wired off and you know made into a walled garden so uh yeah look i guess we're we're we're, we're our own worst enemies sometimes <laughs> like that we create great things and then we uh push them into ways that weren't how they weren't intended to be used um with the energy you kind of alluded to the fact that potentially people could go off the grid by generating energy at a local level in a micro way uh and become prosumers so th that definitely makes sense um what kind of things are you excited about going forwards into 2021? Um, I mean, you've kind of sketched out the issues, what the challenges are. Uh, do you see particular things coming sooner? Like which things are, do you think could be positive drivers in, in 2021 and beyond? Well, I suppose, um, you know, you could kind of start from the position that um, in the last decade and certainly in, in the last couple of years, there's been a real, I suppose, populist um, revival in 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 interest, I suppose, in how the state operates and how the economy operates and how power is shared or how it currently is not shared. Mm -hmm. um, this could, could go back to um, the Occupy movement. Um, you could go back um, further than that, you know, beyond the financial crisis, these questions over um, essentially what are the mechanisms within the economy that that seemed to, without, um, without kind of further push or motivation, seem to just inevitably concentrate wealth, right? Um, so what, how do we disarm those mechanisms, those feedback loops, which seem to give, bring, you know, the rich get richer, successful to, to the successful? Mm -hmm. So what I see is in some of uh, this kind of populist um, uprising uh, is really a, a fundamental question around around those feedback loops and, and how wealth is shared. And of course, you could kind of go to the pessimistic um, uh, route and think that maybe this is like the end of <laughs> the end of all things and, and kind of um, we, we may lose democracy we may lose um, we may lose um, po popular control over over the economy but what I see is the potential to really upturn um, those those myths that we we discussed earlier and think about true democratization of the economy and um, and protecting democratic ideals both in in policy and and within um, how the economy actually works. So I see the potential to use technology to democratize the economy. We've talked about the, um, the electricity example, um, but I suppose more broadly, people understanding that 
something as basic as democracy, like being able to vote for the person that you think should be in power, can be compromised by the information and the information bubbles mm-hmm. that, we, that we operate in. So I, I feel like there's a growing understanding, I suppose. Um, I, supp- I suppose I see it that maybe 15 years ago, there was a widespread naivety, maybe. Um, you know, I've certainly was... was um, subject to that this kind of idea that we've that's it we've like we've cracked it like as a as a global humanity um we know how we have the technology to feed everybody to um to produce energy um to to share and communicate globally um and it turns out that that's come with all sorts of hidden costs which which we which we talked about at the very beginning um and i think there's just a, a lot more awareness about that now and so you could go think that that was a, a negative thing that now we know all of the <laughs> problems we've created for ourselves. But I see it as a positive because I think that it, it's actually creating um, a huge upswell of energy around around changing those things. And I, I think something, you know, we could take positives from even from the, the pandemic. If you see um, how much energy has been put into mutual aid and cooperative um, community-based responses um those are the kinds of uh modes of operation which we can start to harness so that we may be able to counteract um corporate power so we can think about how can we empower ourselves as individuals as citizens as individual you know prosumers um and and thinking about us even or, or even as consumers how can we um you know actually use our power in a collective way and all of those could be construed as anti-monopoly strategies as it were yeah look and like you say um you know i guess from the the brexit referendum four years ago and you know the election of trump four years ago uh it has made people have to question and be able to articulate more clearly what the issue is and why they have an issue with it and even like you say with the pandemic i mean potentially we are now beginning to to cure diseases and viruses that we, we weren't able to even engage with before so uh, it, it could be a nudge towards positive things as well um your your, your book is is one of quite a few that we've recently reviewed uh, like another one was reimagined imagining capitalism where people are looking at what we have and questioning why things are the way they are and why they don't need to be um what's the, what's the reception been to your book have people got it or are they questioning the concept so like how, how have you found the the response to your book um well i mean the book is structured so that uh, in the first kind of two-thirds i deal with these six myths um of capitalism and then in the last third i kind of set out my positive vision and i mm-hmm. think that the six myths are actually quite well understood now. Um, it's just, I think, useful to, in a way, bring them all together. What I'm really doing in that, my con- main contribution, in a way, is to um, explain some of these economic concepts in relatively simple um, language, um, but also to tie some of those threads together so that people can understand how, um, you know, this niche area of law and regulation, you know, antitrust is connected to this other niche area, which is corporate governance and how all of it, um, you know, feeds these um, trends of the prioritization of shareholders and the monopolization of the economy. So that's like kind of um, diagnosis of the problem. And I think that there's broad consensus about that problem but it's useful to kind of articulate it um in 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 one kind of cohesive way so i think that the reception of that has been you know very positive people people definitely understand that 
Um, where I talk about the solutions is obviously where you get into like the the meat, <laughs> as mm. it were. Um, the where there is a lot of, um, I think there's a lot of uh, hope that we can do some of this kind of tweaking around the edges um, without fundamentally changing things. I think that people would like, for example, um, for us to say, okay, as long as we have um, impact investing and um, as long as companies are reporting on their ESG, um, then we'll get responsible capitalism. And I just don't think it works like that. I think that capitalism operates um, under a particular logic, which is what I try to expose with the the six myths to try and show these are the mechanisms by which um, corporate capitalism will operate if left to its own devices. And therefore, if you're going to change the outcome, you need to change some of those mechanisms. It's not enough to um, try and impose some responsibility from the outside. You actually have to change how decisions are made, who the decisions are made by, and for whose benefit. And so often I'm talking about um, you know, putting workers and or other stakeholders on boards. That's not just a um, uh, symbolic gesture. Um, that's about actually changing whose interests are taken into account at a fundamental mm-hmm. level um, when we are thinking about how the enormous resources of the corporate sector are to be used and so um and and to what ends and so i think that that will take a little bit longer um obviously (laughs) to um for for people to get get their head around and for there to be kind of a robust debate around around that question um and i think that there's also um uh, one kind of point of resistance is that People are very wary, um, I suppose, connected to the, the conversation we just had around the potential for technology to 